Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Let's go back to 2011. Look at the World Cup with Squidge. Let's go back. Oh, baby, let's go back with Squidge. Hello there, and welcome to episode two, the very second episode of the Squid Rugby Rugby World Cup Rugby Retrospective Rugby, which rugby. remains a huge mouthful. Rugby, we couldn't call it the Squid Retrospective though, because it turns out Play Doh, you're starting a new podcast in which they look at their history, so we couldn't get that. I've got to say that retrospective is a long word for Play Doh's main demographic. <laughs> it is. I, mean, I don't know who's downloading podcasts in the <laughs> the five to ten demographic, the, the under fives. I mean, I feel quite nostalgic about Play Doh, and I listen to podcasts, mm. so maybe that is up my street. Can you link me to that? But there's, I think there's a market out there for Lego podcasts. And I know because I am an adult who spends money on Lego right. because I get stressed out easily. And it's really good to just do something like that. I don't think there is that market for Play-Doh. I've got a question for you. Yes. How many times have you opened your podcast app, typed in Lego, and then about 10 seconds later had a disappointed look on your face? Every single day. <laughs> Every single day. I do that with the podcast app, I do that with Pornhub, I do that with all sorts of things. I just enter the word Lego and hope for the best. I don't know what that second thing that you said is, but... No, that's what I'm trying to figure it out. I keep trying to look up cool Lego models on it, and there's none on it. And everyone's so friendly. Yeah, maybe too Which friendly. is really the Lego spirit. <laughs> Yeah, it's. I don't really know what's going on. It's really... There's a lot of Danish people on there, actually, so maybe it is Lego. Anyway, my name's Robbie Owen, but you, my mum once called me Squidge as well, so you might as well call me that. And joining me, you've already heard him, is... Reluctantly joining you is your very own birth brother, Will Owen. Birth brother? Yep. <laughs> That's now a phrase. That's now a thing people say. I think I was going for blood brother... But I guess that you birthed me as your brother. I, I didn't. I didn't birth you. Yeah, I only found this out a few seconds ago when I said birth brother. I was the one person in that family at that time who was not involved in birthing you. Right. I don't really remember it. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's not go into mechanics because we've already touched on them. The idea with this podcast is we're going to run through each game from the 2011 first Rugby World Cup we're going to do them all chronologically. We're just going to go through all of them, including the dull shit games. But there this, no my games. friend, is not a dull shit game. Oh, there were. Um, <laughs> this was not one of them. This was the second game of the 2011 Rugby World Cup. It was between a team called Scotland, right. who come from, believe it or not, Scotland. Okay. And a team, and this is a huge coincidence, called Romania from Romania. Romain? Romain? Yeah. Do you get it? 
Yes, exactly, exactly. It was like Kieran, Kieran Reed. Uh, yeah, yeah. In 2017, that was, was the reference he was making. Yeah, yeah. The Lions. He just shouted because the referee's called Roman Poir. I feel like I've got to over-explain the joke. And speaking of over-explaining things, I feel like it's worth mentioning what actually happened in this game quickly. So Scotland came into it as the heavy favourites. They're big Six Nations team. And they'd battered them in the previous World Cup. They just sort of knocked them over. It was like a comprehensive win. But Romania had really rebuilt by this point. And this, I think, was the game they saw as their big chance to target an upset. Obviously, they're playing Georgia, who were their neighbours, the nearby team. And they play them quite regularly. And it's often quite back and forth, especially it was at this period. But I think they saw Scotland as a big chance for an upset. So initially, things begin and Scotland get off to pretty much a flying start. They score an early try from Mike Blair. They score another couple of tries. Or another try, rather. And then things begin to turn. And Romania have just about been keeping in touch the entire way by kicking penalties. And then they score a try through Lazar on half-time and go in just seven points down. And then in the second half, having again kicked a couple more penalties, kept themselves in touch, score a try to put themselves ahead, scored by Daniel Carpo, the number With eight. About 12 minutes to go is worth adding. Yeah. So this is like really tense moments for Scotland. Scotland then, with eight minutes to go, kick a penalty to put them even. So it's 24 all with five minutes to go. Squeaky bum time. And then kind of tragically for Romania, Simon Danielli then scores two tries in the last four or five minutes. And it kind of, that sews up the game. Which is especially tragic because Danielli went into this game having not scored a try in about three decades, I think it was. Yeah, it was something like that. He hadn't scored a try since his haircut was in fashion. <laughs> so he's never scored a try. Yeah. <laughs> for anyone that doesn't remember Simon Danielli, and he was a, like... He, he was a perfectly good player. Yeah, he, he was. He got a lot of shit, but he was a good winger. Like, he was a good technical winger, but he was quick. He ran good support lines, as we'll come on to in a couple of points yep. in this game. And he could finish, despite that, but he had a mullet. Yeah, that was his main down point when it came to Scotland's selection. Max Evans didn't really mess about that much with his hair. Sean Lamont, at this point, wasn't that messy. No, Sean Lamont didn't have his kind of blonde quiff at this point. Yeah. So, yeah, that leads us on quite nicely to the team's. We had, it was a pretty strong Scotland team. They did have this revolving 10 thing of Rahuri Jackson and Dan Parks, who were in and out of that 10 jersey. Jackson started in this game, Danielli came in on the wing, and then we had Ansbro and Sean Lamont in the centres with Chris Mossy Patterson at fullback. And then it was a vintage Scotland pack of Alan Jacobson. Yeah. And there isn't much to talk about from Alan Jacobson's perspective in the game, but I just want to have a moment to admire Alan Jacobson. Yeah. When taking notes on the lineups for this game, I've made sure I've written Chunk, even though he basically had no impact on the game. No. But otherwise, it's a pretty mobile pack, other mm. than Chunk, who is probably my favourite player on that pitch, <laughs> arguably. They've, of course, opted for the maximum wingers approach in the back line with Lamont and Anne's pro in the centre, yes. as you mentioned. So surely those, what, 14 athletic players will bring them some joy. Absolutely. Then pack-wise, rest of them, Ross Ford, because it was a Scotland game between the years 2000 and 2019, so Ross Ford was in the team. Um, Jeff Cross, Richard Gray, Ali Kellett, Kelly Brown, John Barkley and Richie Vernon. We didn't have Johnny Beattie in, so we couldn't complete the Killer Bees Aww. as had been in fashion just beforehand. We also had, so, okay, so I watched the first half of the game with Romanian commentary. And I watched the second half of Australian commentary, right. which is a real like whiplash of an experience. Yeah. They're very different cultures and very different sounding languages. And I speak one of them. Which do you speak? Australian or Romanian? Romanian. Okay. It's fluent Romanian. But so I said they were extremely different. But the second half, when Nathan Hines comes off the bench to replace Richie Gray in that second half, the commentator said, and here comes the veteran. 
44-year-old Nathan Hines, the <laughs> oldest player in the Scotland squad. Was, was that accurate? I mean, he did play for a long time. So this was what I thought about, right? Nathan Hines is 44 next year. Like, he isn't even 44 yet. Those commentators from the future. Right, and this led me on to something, because I think the entire team covering this game were from the future. We had a time-travelling broadcast team covering the game. This is tasty. Because every time they cut up to the coach's box, right, and the Scotland coach at the time was Andy Robinson. Firmly from the past. But the attack coach, the attack coach was Gregor Townsend. And every single time they cut up to the coach's box, it was Gregor Townsend they cut to. It was pretty much never to Andy Robinson. We barely saw a shot of him, but we kept seeing close-ups, like actual proper shots of Gregor Townsend reacting, taking notes. He was the guy they filmed. Like the time travellers had come back from the past and they went, oh, Townsend, he must be the Scotland coach now. We'll just watch him. Did Gregor Townsend have to pull his dictaphone to his mouth and say, right, we need to sub on this 14-year-old hog boy? Yeah. <laughs> I've got a really good feeling about this young Greg Laidlaw now. <laughs> oh, Greg was young at one point. Isn't that a weird thought? I know. There was a couple of the Scotland... Like, I remember looking at Mike Blair when he scores his try quite early on. I think, I forgot you ever looked young. Because I'm used to him looking like he did now. And because he kind of, quite quickly after this, his hair didn't so much go, but it got darker. And like, it didn't grey. Mm. But his hair was far darker brown than it was at this point. It was... A far sandier I think brown. he has aged quite well. Mike he has. Brown. Oh, yes. He he's aged well, Mike yeah. Blair. But I think he aged quite quickly after this, and he's remained that same look since. Yeah. I just say, he's aged well, but he looked weirdly young in this game for me. Yeah, it's weird how a lot of the players I find from this game look younger than they do now. <laughs> it's bizarre, that, isn't it? Yeah. Do you think they were younger? I doubt it, mate. I doubt it. Mossy looks exactly the same, though. Yeah, he does. The... Romania team, and this is fun. So they are captained by the absolute legend of Romanian rugby, and I think we'll talk about him quite a lot, Marius Tinku, yeah. their hooker. What a player. He was fantastic, and the officially named man of the match, he was brilliant. Yeah. They then had this mental backline that I kind of, I love this Romanian backline. The rest of the pack's great as well. Like It's like a proper... Yeah, like, a Sachet is a brilliant player. Had a great 2015 World Cup. Yes. And that's what I sort of think back to a Sachet as. Mm. And then I saw him playing this game 2011, retrospectively, and thought, my God, he was always pretty good, wasn't yeah. he? Christian Petra is like a really yeah, hard working he was a solid player wasn't yeah. he and Mahita Lazar I know you want to talk about the back line yeah. but, and Eon as well I guess on the tight head side yeah. that's a strong ass pack Daniel Carpo in the form Daniel of Carpo. life probably <laughs> Dan- so again I'm just going to pick up on this now because we're talking about him yeah. Daniel Carpo I really like Daniel Carpo because he is the exact image he's like a parody of a number 8 and he's a really good carrier he doesn't do anything else. He just fades out the game. He occasionally makes a big hit in defence and he carries really strongly. And this comes right down to from the back of the scrum. Every single scrum in the entire game, he picked and went. Either the referee <laughs> blew for penalty beforehand or he went himself. And the only time the ball got out to the backs was because Maccabee comes in and rips it off him and passes it out. <laughs> That's brilliant. You know what? Because I found that before this World Cup, Mm. we'd done our research when it came to renaming players on the Rugby World Cup 2011 video game. Mm. And we'd renamed the Romania team. And basically the only non-Tinku player whose name I remembered was Daniel Carpo because it was very easy. Yeah. And he became basically the exact player we built him up to be in playing that game. Yeah. That's my main memory of Daniel Carpo. (laughs) And because I remember that morning as we watched it, as we got up, the game was on at like 6am I think. 
And I remember you saying Marius Tinku and being like, I know that guy because he was playing at Perpignan at the time. Yeah. And he was like, back when Perpignan were quite a big club, they were like top four in the French League every year. And yeah. he was the one Uruguay, no, sorry, Romania player. I automatically, my brain's always on Uruguay. You're always thinking about Uruguay. <laughs> he was the one Romania player I think we both knew going into this game. Yes. And I learned a far more of them over the course of this World Cup and over the course of this yeah. match. I say Maccabe, who was... For me, one of the best players at the 2015 World Cup. I love him. Yeah. He's such a hard-working, proper seven. He's the kind of player that I think if he was exposed to top-like rugby more, could have been world-class. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like a good god's or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think there was one other player that we'd heard whisperings of, but had mm. never seen play. And that was we'd probably read an article yeah. on the massive boot of Julian Dimitras. Yes. Fullback. Yes. I'd seen a couple of videos. There was a YouTube compilation of him kicking and him course, nailing drop yeah. goals from his own half. And him just absolutely thumping and thundering the ball around. And I yeah. kind of loved him, was very excited to see him play. So I think if you're one of the Scotland players and you're warming up and you see somebody booting the ball into the distance in this team that you're probably slightly underestimating, even subconsciously, yeah. you think, holy shit, I'm not looking forward to that. <laughs> There's a moment in the start of the second half where Dumitras puts up an up and under. And I timed it. And the ball hangs in the air. For 6.12 seconds. Jesus Christ. Which doesn't sound that impressive when you just say it, but that's a really long time. Like, stop and yeah. try and time 6.12 seconds. Like, the ball must have actually left the stadium and hung in the air for some time. It must wow. have been out the ground for more time than most kicks hang in the air for. That's incredible. There's also another point as well where Romania turns Scotland over when Scotland are on their try line. And Dumitras thumps it and he shanks it horribly, but it still gets out of his heart. Yes. Yeah. And it looks like he's totally sliced it. And as it leaves it boot, you think, oh, no, that's not what they need. Yeah. And he still gets nearly to the opposition 10 metre line. Yeah. By the time it's bounced once, it's pretty much landing just short of halfway. Yeah. He just, he had an absolute cannon of a boot and he was he a did. solid lad as well. Like, I remember him just having yeah. a huge boot. I didn't remember. He was quite big. He was. He was maybe the first Scott Spedding. The thing I love about this Romanian backline is that it's made up entirely of... You've got a scrum half, fine, whatever. And then you've got, beyond that, two other types of player. Everyone in that backline is either a shithouse winger or just a bloke with an absolute cannon of a boot. Yeah, 10 and 15. And then 12, uh, Dimoftiov, Dimofti, who kind of... He tried to be everything, but really he loved to thump it. Yeah. And again, there's a moment where he thumps the ball in his own 22 and it it then fades the width of the pitch and it ends up going out on the other touchline yes of course yeah which weirdly ended up being a really good kick yeah like it kind of goes 30 meters and to the other touchline so he gets a lot of distance on it and he takes over the kicking in the second half as well for some reason mm. there is of course one other point i think that's very important when it comes to the romania backline mm. is that they were deprived oh, of, of course catalan Firku. yes their flying winger who couldn't get to New Zealand because he was scared of flying. Yes. He was absolutely terrified of flying. He'd done one plane journey in his life and it was an hour and it terrified him. Yeah. And like they had to send him to England in 2015 on a boat. That's, I was going to say it's insane, but obviously, you know, if you're scared of flying yeah. and you've worked really hard and this is the pinnacle of your career, you've got to do what you've got to do, haven't you? And he at the time was their star player. He'd scored their one try in their warm-up game against France. He'd scored this great solo try and... He signed for Saracens later on as well. Like, he was a very good finisher. Of course. He's now their all-time top try scorer. He was one shy at the time, I remember. He was one try short of equaling the record at the 2011 World Cup. For a long time. Because he was quite young as well. He's still playing. Yeah. Or certainly he was last year. He was the last time I watched yeah. Romania play. Oh, no, I watched him this year. Yeah, yeah, he is still playing. 
But yeah, and he couldn't get in the team. And so instead, instead, on the wing, they had this... I don't know if you paid any attention to the number 14. Stefan Cintu, who partly I like because he is one type away from being called Cunt. I didn't remember him whatsoever. Oh, wow. (laughs) No, I didn't remember him at all. I don't know why. Yeah. Because I just became obsessed and fascinated with him because I can't understand them at all. Yeah. There was a funny moment, particularly about five, ten minutes away from the end of the game. Yeah. Where it looked like he had never covered a kick in his life. Yeah. And then he just really frantically sprints back manages to get the ball and boots the ball miles and it's like why did you not do that earlier <laughs> so, but there's a moment right at the beginning when literally about five minutes into the game he covers a kick and he takes it and he begins jogging back and i was a bit like right okay i assumed it was carpo or someone covering the kick and it wasn't it's him and he's just so basically if all the other players to go back to the lego thing are minifigures he looks like he's made out of duplo <laughs> Like, he's got kind of the neck and the build of a Duplo figure, of that kind of, like, chunky boy, of, like, he's not fat or big or round or, like, solid in, like, a George North in Jonah Lomu way. He just looks like he's out of proportion. He doesn't look like a human being. And he just kind of waddles along and he's got no pace whatsoever (laughs) and no ability to evade anyone. There was one point in the second half when he tries to counter... And he goes to try and swerve, and it takes him so long. It's like watching like a like a massive freighter truck turning, and he sort of begins to like maneuver around. By which point, three people have turned him to ground before he's finished his sidestep. The thing is, you've just said a load of stuff that sounds derogatory towards him. Mm. Yeah, I think you just complimented him. Oh, I love him. I love him. Like he's a completely pointless player <laughs> because he doesn't work as a winger and i assume he must have been like a crash ball 12 that they moved out or something but he's just he was bizarre because i couldn't understand him and yet he was somehow working should we put him in a back three with vungalilo from the last game yes oh we need the slowest back three possible to be found at this yeah. world cup because he is my new favorite player but uh, an old player and i do have like written down from the first time he touched the ball 14 is not quick at all in capital letters <laughs> that's the impression he gave me the first impression i have written down from romania as yeah. generally from this game is that their anthem is a fucking banger oh it's epic isn't it that against flower and scotland that's the final for me <laughs> see because flower of scotland's like emotional and you can really get into it and yeah. it builds on you and it's let's say it's emotional the romanian one's a bond theme it is a bit isn't it like it's a uh, proper bang bomb wallop of an anthem also romania's kit their kit was excellent yeah it kind of it's like this yellow thing with these stripes in the corner i really like it it does look like it could easily be the kit of a team called clown school rfc but i really like it i thought it was a great kit and i think we missed romania's kit as the kind of token big yellow kit at the last world cup yeah true and luckily they didn't play like clown school rfc no this was a very good game it really was i think do we start quite chronologically do we start with the first try yeah i think we should start the first because try. mike blair's try is lovely it is but also looks very easy in a way but i actually i was quite impressed in places with scotland's attack from a 2019 point of view it's really interesting because what they're doing is the same idea just they don't have to overcome a defense is actually good but there isn't the same line speed and pressure True. being put on a defense attack rather yeah. in the same way yeah i suppose in a kind of training run sense scotland executed everything very well didn't they yeah in that way but what scotland are doing in attack was they were giving their 10 uh, jackson loads and loads of options 
And then from there, he was able to just pick the best ones, which is kind of the idea of modern attack. And that's what yeah. a lot of it is built on. Except the difference was you also need loads and loads of examples of people there just to confuse the defense. Yeah. And they didn't really have the dummy runners. They just had other options who were kind of lingering about. Yeah. If they didn't get the ball, that was it. They were just kind of, you know, we, we get on with what you run to the yeah, ball. Yeah, wasn't committing anybody. Yeah. And there was actually, there was this thing you pointed out in the, the last game, in the previous episode, where the All Blacks ran a very similar shape to what we see all the time now. And then it got called back for an obstruction. And yeah. otherwise, Sonny Bill would have scored. Exactly yeah. the same thing happens in the first half here. It did. And who got penalised? But Alan Jacobson. Oh, of course it was. But yeah, Chris Patterson would have scored. Yeah. It was a clear break. Max Evans goes through. And it's exactly the same thing. Nowadays, you see teams run it all the time. You see a forward running slightly in front of the ball. And yeah. then it goes out to the back. Realistically, it's just as much a default way of executing a three on two mm. as just stacking your man outside you is. Yeah. Yeah, now it is. But at the time, this was being penalised. And this, to me, is yeah. almost as big a change as the fact there were so many high tackles being let go. In fact, on the Australian commentary, mm. they said referees are really starting to clamp down on this whole dummy runner thing. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. Because I don't know if it was a directive, but it did feel like it's a big change in the game. And I don't know when that starts shifting. Yeah, it's happened twice in two games. Because by 2015, you've got them being let off more, but I imagine they're probably still being penalised. I, I seem to remember them being penalised. But you don't see these days anyone being called for obstruction, really. It, it happens very rarely. Yeah. Because teams are so well drilled and they're running these patterns over and over again. Absolutely, yeah. It's default. I was really surprised by... I thought at first, on just to stick on a sort of an analysis point of view, mm-hmm. initially I thought about how low the skill levels felt because there's a lot of passes going to ground. There were. Far more than you see in Test Rugby these days, far more than you saw in the 2019 World Cup. A lot of passes just aren't quite going to hand or are bouncing first. Yeah. Especially from forwards. Like There's a pass in the second half that Ross Ford throws, where he tries to throw like this 20-meter extended pass to his backs. And now you'd expect a hooker to throw that. Yeah. But at the time, the fact that the hooker got it away was the impressive thing, rather than the fact that the hooker actually could get it to hand. And I've come to realise, actually, when I thought about it, it's less the skill level is weaker, and I think it is to a degree, I think just because it naturally gets better with every year of Test Rugby. But largely that the margin or the ability to make errors was far greater because you're asking players to throw far more complicated passes because players were spaced far more out yeah. and they weren't running lines that could be adjusted for the pass. They were running very set lines. So if you didn't yeah. nail the pass, you were giving players a far smaller margin of error and therefore leading to far more errors. Which, funnily enough, is very almost what happened for the final Simon Danielli try, mm. where Max Evans has to sort mm. of take the ball while readjusting his angle from Patterson. Yes, yeah. Mossy as well had a great first 20 minutes. He had a great game overall, I think. Yeah, though he does have the one moment where... Yep, what this game's remembered for. Yep, the first moment, Mike Blair's try. Do you want to explain what happens? Mike Blair scores a lovely try, as we've touched on. Steps the last man, has a clear run to the try line. Of course, dives underneath the posts to make it nice and easy for his kicker. Not that he needs it, because he's a 100% kicker, and he doesn't miss a kick. I haven't seen him miss one in ages at this point. So, I'll add as well, Chris Patterson, the previous year, had set the world record for most consecutive goal kicks in Test Rugby. 36 (laughs) kicks in a row. He then missed one in the Six Nations. And what does he do but miss between the posts? The ball did fall off the tee, the wind was... The ball falls off the tee, yeah. He then kind of turns round in complaint, and I don't quite know who he's blaming when he misses it. Yeah. But he does, he begins to complain, 
And then, and this is another thing I want to talk about, because yes. the referee yes. for this game was Dave, Dave Pearson. Dave Pearson. Dave Pearson, who is an all-time favourite referee of me. I've missed Dave Pearson badly. Yeah. Who is great. A great referee and a great bloke. Yeah. Like the modern-day Tony Spreadbury. Yes, or not modern-day. He's sort of... Yeah. Imagine a referee as witty and willing to let the game flow as Nigel, but without the ego. Hmm. Like, I love Nigel. I love Nigel. But Nigel sometimes gets caught up in his own heart. Yeah. Whereas bit. Dave Pearson didn't have that at all. He had, like, a northern grit to him. Yeah, he was great, Dave. But he turns around and says, how long have you been doing that? <laughs> two Patterson after he misses between the posts. Uh, there were two other Dave moments that I loved that I noted down. Oh, go on. One is a scrums reset. And he then expl- he calls over both front rows, or he just stands in the middle of them, and explains to them he did it because one of them stood on his toes, and he couldn't <laughs> focus on refereeing for a moment. Oh, what a guy. And he just, like, What's the other really one? honestly says that. And right at, the mi- right at the end, Scotland get a penalty with a minute to go, and I think it's Dan Parks says to him, you know, what's the time, how long's left? And he says, look over there, there's a clock. <laughs> Oh, we love Dave. I love Dave. And I'm looking forward to seeing more of Dave in the rest of the tournament because he is wonderful. Yeah. As I say, great referee, really promoted the flowing game. Yeah. Really, really good all round and so entertaining as well. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, should we move on to the Ansborough try now? Okay. Sort of go chronologically. Yeah. So it looks very much like, well, it is what happens is he beats four tackles and I guess steps inside the fullback is what yeah. happens. So it's a really good solo try. He finds a bit of space, gets on the outside of, I think it's Petra, trying to tackle yeah. him, managed to break a couple of tackles and managed to beat the sweeper. It looks like very poor defence. It's an excellent finish with that in mind. Yeah, there's a couple more breaks by Scotland as well around that period. Like they're playing some really, really nice rugby. There's one in particular that I really enjoyed where Max Evans makes a break down the wing and Simon Danielli runs this really smart, really good kind of Ashton style inside yeah, support line. I know where this is going. He takes the pass, he goes in the 22, he beats one man, beats the first man, and he's got Chris Patton in support. And then the remaining defender managed to scrag him, get hold of him, and <laughs> Danielli then just pops the ball to Patterson who trundles on a bit and instantly Dave Pearson who's ran up alongside blows for a forward pass and Danielli has a moment where he throws his hands to his head in like a shit I forgot that was a rule yeah it's like a proper he forgot you couldn't pass forward for a moment yeah I mean it's just as well there was a novelty Dave Pearson moment covering that up because Danielli royally squandered that yeah and Patterson was obviously trying to pick a support line he went right then left and I think whichever one he took, if Danielli fixed up and passed the ball, that would have been a short try. Yeah. And it infuriated me to watch that. But the moment of the forward pass was funny. The worst thing is, he does exactly that for the Mike Blair try. Like, he yeah. fixes his man really well. He drifts in, he, he fixes everyone, and he leaves Mike Blair for only one man to beat instead of the three in the backfield, which is lovely and excellent. And similarly, actually, to move on to his try, his first try in the last 10 minutes... Yeah. Richie Vernon makes a brilliant break down the wing, who was at the time a forward. Yeah. Went on to play in the next World Cup as a centre. I mean, forwards can be fast and still be forwards. I know. Weird, isn't it? Someone should tell Eddie Jones that. <laughs> he is, he's playing at number eight. Uh, and he makes a lovely break down the wing. Then the pass he threads to Danielli is excellent because there's two remaining defenders covering across. It's really difficult skill, isn't it? Yeah. He manages to kind of just float it exactly into the space. Wall off balance. He said so Danielli can sprint onto it at full power as well. Like he can hit the ball yeah. and accelerate onto it. It's basically a perfect pass. It is. And it's really impressive. That's the most impressive thing. Like it's a great break and everything. And it's a good finish by Danielli. Yeah. It but is. it's such an impressive pass. It is. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Um, I would like to talk about, if mm. I may move on swiftly, yes. the Mahita Lazar try towards the end yes. of the first half. Because yes. that was a thing of forwards beauty. Oh, absolutely. Romania had already had an attacking set where they picked and went and picked and went. One more pick and drive and they're over the line. <laughs> if you get that reference, then well done. Uh, get a life. This is an interesting thing, right? The At the end of the game, the stats thing had the pick and goes by either team. Yes, it did. Which just shows where rugby was at that point, I guess. Yeah. Which the final pick and go stat was 24-10 to Romania. And Romania scored 24 points and they did 24 pick and goes. Huh. That's not a coincidence. Anyway, go back to your thing. The point was, they'd done a set where they basically started from the 22 and got to the five metre line. Yeah. Exclusively pick and goes. And this is what leads me on to sort of my main point about Romania, is that I can't help but feel like their coaching was ahead of their time. Yeah. I genuinely think that. In terms of their set phases and the way they entered contact, I think they looked ahead of 2011 in a way. Yeah. And with the the Tsar try, whether intended or not, it's a stroke of genius. Because they start with a few pick and goes. Yes. And then it sort of goes backwards from somebody trying to carry the ball and it ends up in a mall, which starts off in a sort of open play. But the, okay, so the way it gets the mall is fascinating as well. So it's, I think it's one of the props, or it's one of the forwards anyway. Yeah. Carries, and he then offloads out of the tackle to someone who takes it in and does the thing where you spin to create a mall. Yes. And it comes from an offload, which gives it such momentum. Yeah. And I can't remember ever seeing someone try and form. A mall straight from an offload to immediately go, bam, no, we're creating a mall now. Yeah. And I don't know whether that was a planned thing, but it's instant and it's really effective. It is. And that would still work today. You know, we talk a lot yeah. about how rugby changes, but yeah. that still would be a creative and effective idea. Yeah. And that's the thing. that Then basically the entire Romanian pack snap on and you can hear from somewhere across New Zealand, somewhere in the South African training camp, Razi Erasmus starts jacking off. <laughs> like it's so up his alley, isn't it? It's famously yeah. Rassi tried to pitch in 2011 to the coaching staff because he was involved as a technical consultant. He tried to pitch that 15-man mall then yeah. and no one would do it. As you say, all eight Romanians pile in. Yeah. And then, have you seen the work of Marius Tinku here, what he does? Enlighten me. He creates this try and honestly, mm. it's a moment of genius. Tinku is originally mauling quite upright, quite strong. Yeah. And then he manages to twist his body round and I shit you not, he pins six Scottish bodies what? on the floor. He pins on the floor. <laughs> and anyway, he's taken himself out of the game and no other Romanians. Yeah. He's taken out the game. Kelly Brown, Ross Ford, John Barkley, Richie Vernon, Richie Gray and Jeff Cross are all pinned on the floor <laughs> with just Tinku sat on them. William Wallace, Stuart Hogg, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, the lot less monsters on the floor somewhere yeah. as well, wriggling around trying to get free. But Tinker, just by manoeuvring his body, has managed to change sort of the angle of the mall. And by the way, I know nothing about malls, yeah. but keeping an eye on this, he manoeuvres his body, managing to pin all six of them down while only taking himself out of the mm. game, meaning that the rest of those seven Romanian players in the pack have to just sort of maul against two players, and then eventually wow. Mike Blair and Rui Jackson join them all, and obviously they're already basically over the line at that point, and they wouldn't have made a difference. Yeah. But that's that that wins in Man of the Match alone, as far as I'm concerned. That's that's incredible. I need to yeah. go back and look at that properly. Because as you say, like, you yeah. can kind of see his influence and the way the thing rolls on with him. I think we should talk about Marius Tenku for a moment. Yes, I think we should. Got, what, three or four breakdown turnovers as well? Yeah, yeah. There's a particularly impressive one when Scotland are kind of pushing and Scotland are kind of getting back into the game. Yeah. And he comes in on the 22-metre line and single-handedly turns the ball over. Yeah, with Brown trying to clear him out. He was pretty yeah. good at rucking, may I add. Like, people forget how good Kelly Brown was. Oh, yeah, all-rounder. Because he he wasn't a flashy player. No. But as I say, he just did everything so effectively. He was in that kind of, like, that Scott Fardy mold of he does everything that you want another player to do on your team. Yeah. Like, he's a player you want on your side. Definitely. Like, he fills in whatever gap. Like, you had John Barkley in this side, who was, you know, big jackal expert, and then you had a good link man, and then you had Richie Vernon, who was quick, pacey, good carrier. And Kelly yeah. Brown just did everything else you could want from the back row. He makes endless tackles, he hits so many rucks, yeah. he clears out men that aren't Marius Tinku, he's very good. <laughs> but, yeah, Marius Tinku, to go back to him, what a player. Yeah, the thing that impressed me most about Tinku is that all of these moments were sort of key moments of the game. Mm. As soon as Scotland would get momentum, he would kill their attack by turning the yeah. ball over, or even killing it illegally sometimes. But he was so smart in the way he attacked the ball, knowing the narrative of the game, I suppose, yeah. and sort of knowing when to strike was just something that's just so rare, especially, I guess, in a hooker in 2011. Because he was part of the breed of... You kind of had these hookers still existed then, and Ken Owens is kind of the only one still going now of like mm. proper hookers who play like in kind of the amateur rugby traditions of you scrum hard, you work hard, you're like a short little bastard who's nails and just kind of does their job and loves it and loves going to breakdown, loves doing all of that stuff, loves clearing out their own ball, is so infused and loves doing it. And like you look at the other teams in that World Cup, you had Mario Ledesma for. Argentina. You had bloody Steve Thompson for England. Yeah. You had King. Ken Owens wins his first cap in this tournament. That was the mould of the hooker coming through at the time. As I say, Ken Owens is kind of the only one going now off the top of my head. Mm. Who, instead of it being like an athletic blah 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 or like a big ball carrier as they tend to be now. They're an extra back row forward essentially. Yeah. At the time, like the hooker was a specialised position in the way it is now but it was even more so because it was like this is what you do yeah, as a hooker. a different way. There was none of this Skulk Brits nonsense. Yeah, at that point it was more cross between, I guess, a flanker and a prop. Yeah. Whereas now it's a bit more to the side of the flanker, whereas back yes, then it was a bit absolutely. more to the side of the prop. It's a short flanker, isn't it, really? Yeah. And Marius Tinku was that. And there's also, like, weirdly his acceleration was great. Yeah, no, he was good at everything. There's a few times he never did it with the ball, but you would see him sometimes just really harry it from wherever he was to making a tackle. Yeah. He could cover some ground to get and hold position in defence. Good athlete, wasn't he, for his size especially. Mm. And also, this is worth saying, I know we're talking a lot about Romania, in particular their pack, but second half, or I guess from about the 35th minute onwards, they're murdering the Scotland scrum. Yeah. And Lazar, to set up this try for Carpo, it's no wonder Carpo was picking and going all day because his pack gave him a licence to. Yeah, so this is the second Romania try that put them ahead, yeah. Yeah. Lazar really gets the upper hand on his opposite number, 
And originally, of course, on the left-hand side of a scrum, if you've got the put-in, the opposition scrum half would be stood there. But mm. the way that Romania managed to drive them, they even managed to pull the scrum half back and just get him out of position. And of course, yeah. that meant Carpo could pick left and dive over. Yeah, yeah. And it really works. There's another thing as well in that try. I don't know if you noticed this, but did you see Mia Maccabee in the background? No. So McAvey, who's at six and is obviously pushing on the side, I think actually he moved to seven for this scrum because he's on the on the open side. Right. And so he's wearing a scrum cap this game and the strap on his scrum cap breaks during that scrum <laughs> and it kind of falls off his head and he catches it. And then you can see when he begins celebrating the try, I just noticed he's holding his scrum cap. And I kind of looked at it. I went back and like watched it. And like, what happens? And it begins to fall off his head and he just kind of rips it off before it falls on the floor. Skillful man. He then, the next time we see him, the next time you spot him, he's suddenly got all this tape tying his scrum cap to his <laughs> head. And it's tied on really, really tight. And so instead of dropping his scrum cap for the last five minutes of the game... He goes and just tightens it round his head as tight as possible. I love that. The physio would have come on and just said, right, can you just do the last five minutes without it? We'll sort this out for the next match. And he goes, no, I must wear my scrum cap. And instead, yeah, so he tapes it round. It looks like he couldn't get air to his head properly. It's like a mummy. Like he couldn't hear anything. It's not that tight. Exactly. But no, he's got this scrum cap really taped to his head. And of course, what came after that Carpo try, of course, mm. with the Scottish kickoff. And who should come on and make a brilliant impact? But Dan Parks putting <laughs> two kickoffs out on the fall in a row. Sometimes that man is just infuriating to but watch. He does. It's not the last time this will go. In the lead up to one of the Danielli tries, he makes a brilliant offload. He does. He does. Where he sort of starts to take contact. Yeah. And then realizes that that's not his thing, so he offloads. It's weird because you think, like, if he took contact, he could have a decent offloading game. Yeah. And then he does a brilliant pass as well to set up the last Daniele try in the corner. Yes. Where he swings from the right hand side to the left. And in a split second, he managed to zip it across to Vernon, who then pops it up for Daniele. It's quite similar to the Fucker Wooker try against Ireland in 2019. Yeah. Spoilers. Yeah. Well, Dan Parks is a punchline now because he was a one dimensional player, but actually his core skills were really, really good. And that's how he got to such a high level. Yeah. And he got so many Man of the Match awards because his kicking game was excellent. There's a couple of times he actually caught Romania backwards because they had that bloody chunk on the way. Yeah. There's another point. Just go back to Chunko Duplo Man, the winger. Yeah. There's a moment where the nine for Romania, uh, Sobu, puts in a little cheeky little box kick to exploit some space behind. Yes. And the camera then cuts. I kind of looked at it and went like, so he's really close to chasing that. He's really close to catching it. And I kind of, my brain didn't go, oh, maybe he is quick. Maybe I was wrong. He went, no, he's offside. And yes, he's blown <laughs> for offside. Yeah. It's quite tight, mind you. But no, I thought yeah. it was one of those things. Dave Pearson probably turns around to him and says, you know, I, I didn't see you, but I know you're not that quick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't say that. But then actually, you mentioned impact and I mentioned the nines. Then Romania make, at the same time, two substitutions. That both Inspired. really work. So on comes, yep, Florence Oju, who is, anyway, excellent player. He doesn't cry in this game as well, which more power to him. Yeah, plus points. And he's fantastic. He just comes on, he slows the game yeah, down. Great game. He And he's perfectly capable of being like a really nippy scrum off. But instead he slows things down, he's shouting at the forwards constantly, and he does two fantastic kicks, including one properly perfect, like yeah. an inch out from the corner flag, pins Scotland right back on the line. That chip kick he puts in for Florian Vlaiku, who ever yes. so slightly misreads the bounce, but very yeah. nearly could have grounded that. That was a genius Exactly, kick. that could have been a try. And as I say, that's like ahead of, ahead of 2011, that kick is. Yeah. And that's the other thing, Florian Vlaiku then comes on at fullback. 
yep. who Thornvoke were able to play basically anywhere, play 10, 12, 15. Young man at this point. Yeah. And has gone on to be one of Romania's all-time great players. And I think is their top point score of all time now. Yeah. But he comes on and he instantly makes a difference. Funnily enough, mm. I had a little check and see, is this foreign like who's 10th cap or something like that? But he had a shed load of caps by this Did point. He? he? was really experienced. He made his test debut in about 2008 or something like that. Right. So he's been going for a long time. How old was he at this point? Uh, I think he was about 23, 24. Okay. See, because he comes on and I think his first touch or maybe a second touch is that he stabs through this great kick when Romania are on, after Dan Parks puts that kick off out in the full. Yeah. Flake who comes on and stabs his kick into the 22, and he just pins Scotland back in a way no one on the Romanian team had been doing. When they thumped it, it was to show off how far they could thump it. And actually, he slides this really smart kind of low trajectory kick into the corner, deliberately to pin them back. And he came on and added like an actual tactical element instead of just being, I can kick it miles, so I'm going to kick it miles. Yeah, it, it's worth giving a bit of credit to the Scotland replacements, I suppose, having just mm. slated parts, given after Carpo scored that try, the Scotland urgency and line speed in defence was seriously impressive. And yeah. at that point, when they knew they were in a game that they could lose, and they started forcing errors from Romania left, right and centre, and of course punished them. So I guess if they'd woken up a bit earlier, then they could have maybe put Romania to the sword a little bit. But they did look very impressive in that last 10 minutes, where they clawed back, what, that would have been 13 points in 10 minutes? With two misconversions? Yeah. Mossy. What do you like? I know. Oh, I'm a terrible goal kicker. There's another point as well. I just want to go back to the thing I was saying about the remaining kicking game, which they really picked it up and they, they played really smartly for what they had. They knew their own strengths. They knew they could thump it miles. They knew their backline were good kickers and that was kind of about it. Yeah. And they knew their pack. I said their pick and go was really good. Yeah. Technically, their scrum, maul were excellent. Anything that involved their forwards going individual inches worked really nicely. Their forward skill sets weren't the greatest. There wasn't much passing, there wasn't much offloading, apart from that with Lazar try. Yeah. And they just, they knew their own limitations and they built a game plan around it, which was really nice. And there's a moment in the second half when the Australian commentary says, oh, you know, I don't mind a team like Romania who've got poor skills kicking like this, but it really annoys me on a team who are actually skillful do it. And that kind of, that really pissed me off because actually what they're doing is they're playing to their strengths. They are, yeah, they do. It. It's not a case of damage limitation. It's a case of getting the most out of the players you've got, especially international rugby where you don't get a say. You can't go out and sign the players who will make your team click and tick. Yeah. Instead, you've got to use what you've got. And that is the whole skill. And that is the whole thing with international rugby is making sure you get the most out of what you've got. It's why, you know, Joe Schmitz Ireland played incredibly different to his Leinster team because he couldn't put that team together for Ireland because they didn't have the raw components. And Romania did that really nicely. So worth noting, Romania, across the 80 minutes, won 18 turnovers. Wow. Okay. Which is quite a lot. I think Scotland won quite a lot themselves. I think they probably won about 12. But hmm. both comfortably into double figures. But 18 turnovers is a pretty good stat for a pack that's mostly playing pro dough rugby or that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. That's really interesting. The other thing then, we should probably talk about Scotland at the tail end. Because they do, in that last 10 minutes, begin to snap back. They look brilliant. And they play some really nice rugby in the lead up to the penalty that Patterson kicks to put them level. They do, yeah. And there's there's been a lot of this, actually. So Scotland spent the entire second half, really, pretty much from the Mike Blair try onwards. They kick a penalty right at the start. But just turning down shots at goal. And they're just constantly going for that bonus point. Yeah. And it isn't until Romania are actually three points ahead that they go, actually, we're going to take the shot. We're going to take them seriously. And there's 10 minutes to go. Yeah. We should probably actually secure a draw here because we don't want we don't want this to blow up in our face. Whereas Romania are doing the exact opposite. Yeah, they are. And they're kicking everything. So there's a point in the first half when Romania have a scrum five and they absolutely smash the Scotland pack backwards yeah. and they take the shot at goal 
and Dumbrava misses it. Yeah. And I don't know, especially when your captain is a hooker, who takes a shot at goal when you've absolutely demolished the opposition that pack? shocked me. Yeah. Because I didn't remember the game that clearly, and I assume no. that must have been... I remember the Romania scored a try through the forwards in the first half, and I assume that must have been the Lazar try, it must have come there. Yeah. And no, like, they, they take a shot at goal when they very clearly should have kept going, especially if they're scrum going the way it was. And your captain's a hooker. I <laughs> know. What monster goes for the kick? I know. It's, if your captain's a 10, if it's Sexton taking the shot, yeah. fair enough. If it's a 10 with an ego, whatever, fine. But, or even if you've got a 100% goal kicker, but the fact is he misses as well. I know it's hindsight, yeah, but it's regardless, even if he nails it, yeah. Romania kicking the points did keep them in touch, but... Yeah, it's one of those things... It's very easy to praise the Tier 2 team for staying in the fight against a good team like Scotland. Yeah. But that was an error by Tinku, who we've yeah. said many times already is a world-class player, but that was an error of captaincy. Well, it's the thing that Michael Leach said about that last scrum, is if I took the shot and Goromari missed it, then... Oh, that last scrum in the, the South Africa-Japan game in 2015. Yeah. The Brighton Miracle. Yeah, he said that if I took that shot and Goromari missed it, it would have haunted me for the rest of my life. Yeah. And actually, that's almost a similar moment because they could have pushed on and put themselves, I think it would have been level with Scotland if they scored. Yeah. Or they would have been, you know, a point or two behind. And considering they went on to take the lead with 15 minutes to go, yeah. you wonder whether that could have been enough, whether that could have really pushed them on. Because could have been a turning point. I think Romania did tire in those last five minutes. Definitely, yeah. The other thing is they and bring... Tinku was off by that point, so... They bring Tinku off, yeah. Which... I understand he's a hooker, and the type of hooker he was probably couldn't last 80 minutes. But if ever there was a game you wanted him to push for, presence alone. it was this game, where he was massive, exactly. He was on top of everything, and he's the captain. He's the proper, like, talismanic inspirational yeah, leader. Yeah, and he's the guy who's got the most experience of playing rugby sort of top 14 in really high-intensity scenarios. Yeah. Where you're playing against world-class players. A lot of these players won't have that experience and exactly. or respect to them, or good players, as it turned out. But yeah. it's one of those things that experience isn't something that you can just gain overnight. And he said that afterwards in his post-match interview. He said, like, we need more players like me who are playing yeah. in France at the top level. Like, like, I'm the reason. He also, and this is just a fascinating point of linguistics, he kept referring to Romania as a team as him and he, <laughs> instead of them or us. Interesting. Which is clearly just, it's a quirk of the Romanian language, isn't it? That yeah. You refer to, in the way that things in French are masculine and feminine. Yeah. Clearly, you refer to a team, a rugby team, as him. Hmm. It just, just interested me. Also, the replacement hooker they brought on was called Bogdan Suman, which is a great name. That is a hell of a name. Bogdan Suman. Hmm. Name of the World Cup. So far, it goes to Bogdan Suman. But yeah, Scotland, in the last 10 minutes, we probably give some credit. Definitely. They look great. Yeah. And they scored some really, really nice tries. That final and early try... It's completely off the cuff rugby. Like, there's no analysis to be done of it. It's just people yeah, it's pretty picking the right passes, and then Daniele finishes it really nicely. One thing that I think summed this game up brilliantly, the symmetry of it, was... You know how in the World Cup, when a team scores in the stadium, they'll play a song Yes, a band or artist from that country? Yes, I know exactly where you're going with this, yes. So, after the first try by Mike Blair... Yeah. They played Take, Take Me Out by Franz Ferdinand. Yes, it was, you know, one of our favourite bands. And then, at the end... They played Do You Want To by Franz Ferdinand, also from Scotland. <laughs> and of course, I think what summed this up so brilliantly is the first try, seven minutes in, they say, I want you to take me out. And then the last try, on about 77 minutes, they're saying, lucky, lucky, you're so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. 
I did notice it was heavy on the Franz Ferdinand, yeah. and then they they couldn't find any Romanian music to play. Yeah. <laughs> so just, what we've got here, the Fratellis, they're they from Romania. No, isn't there? There's a famous Romanian singer, I'm sure. Um, I don't know. They've been to Eurovision a few times. Famous Romanian people. There's Sebastian Stan, who's in the Marvel movies. Um, and there's, there's Marius Tinku. What's, oh, he's a rugby player. Marius Tinku. Um, and there's the really tall bloke that was in Eurovision a few years ago. We had the really high pitched voice. Went, rah, rah, rah. There's him. They could have got him in. They could have got him to sing. Um, they should have. And uh, Dracula. Dracula's Romanian. Those are my complete list of famous Romanian. Vlad the Impaler. Vlad the Impaler was Romanian. Uh, and he could have done something. Are you on Romanian. Wikipedia page of um, famous Romanian? I tried to type it in but it wasn't giving me the results quickly enough, so I'll move on. Oh. Speaking of Romanian people, I want to round this out or move us, whatever, towards our closing yep. segment with a quiz. Ooh. So, as I said, I watched the first half of the game with the Romanian coverage. This included the Romanian pre-show, okay? Okay. The Romanian pre-show began with, it was quite a generic kind of opening title of like a rugby ball flying around and blah, 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 blah. Okay. There was then some Romanian people talking over some stock footage or some, some various clips from, I assume, filmed in New Zealand, filmed in, like, I think it was in the Cargill, the game was played in, played in that local area. Right. Right. And then a few other shots of the two teams that we had in the game. I'm going to read okay. a list of five things, okay? Right. One of them I've made up. The other four were included in this montage pre-game. Oh, okay. Okay, I want you to guess which one. Okay, number one. One of the commentary or presenting or whatever team going for a long hike in a random forest in New Zealand. Okay. Okay. Seven seconds of a random man fishing. And he's properly stood in the middle of a lake. (laughs) It was not Stephen Donald, I can tell you that. Properly stood in the lake with his kind of water up to his waist. Okay. Marius Tinku posing dramatically with a clarinet, of all things. Please tell me that's true. A big, long, real massive close-up of a random bird, by which I mean an animal, the bird, not a derogatory term for a woman. Or Daniel Carpo putting up a folding table. (laughs) (laughs) Which of those five things was not at the start of the Romanian coverage of this game? Oh, I'm quite nervous about getting this right. I really hope that the Carpo table thing and Tinker with the clarinet were in there. And I can just about believe both of them. Um, the bird <laughs> I don't think you'd have made up. Seven seconds fishing, hiking in New Zealand. That's tough. They're all very believable. Yeah. <laughs> and for the record, am I believing which one happened or which one didn't happen? <laughs> one of them didn't happen. The other four were oh actually God. in the opening montage of the Romanian coverage. Let it be known. No matter what the answer to this question is, mm. I'm going back and watching this as soon as we finish recording <laughs> this podcast. My final answer is going to be Daniel Carper putting up the table. That was in there. Yes! The Get montage... Me. What was the wrong answer? The, the one that wasn't there was Marius Tinker with a clarinet. Oh, <laughs> Which... Of course it wasn't. <laughs> I don't believe there was Marius Tinker with a clarinet in there. I desperately that was, that was want good. to see that. Yeah. Marius Tinku, if you're listening, please pose with a clarinet and send it to us for science. Daniel Carpo was putting up a folding table in the changing room. That's incredible. And you can kind of see him folding out the legs and putting it around. 
I'm going to watch that as soon as we finish recording this. So yeah, that was my coverage of the Romanian commentary. They sounded really bored as Mike Blair scored in like, oh, it's Mike Blair. <laughs> and then they say something, then they say Edinburgh or Edinburgh or something. That was about it. That was about the highlight of it. They were quite excited for the Lazar try, but I didn't get to hear them comment on the Carpo try, unfortunately. Oh, that's which sad. would have been the true highlight. But I'm sure it's out there somewhere. But you saw Carpo doing better things. Exactly. So. Exactly. Do you have anything else to add on this rugby match? No, I do not. Excellent. Then I believe that brings us to the end of the cast. I believe it's a pod type cast. So that brings us to the end of the second game of the Rugby World Cup. The third game was played directly after this, and it is genuinely one of my favourite rugby matches of all time. I love yeah, this game I'm so much. I'm fully expecting us to do a three-hour dissection of this one. We managed to talk yeah. for an hour again on this game alone. We have, yeah, which is probably quite worrying. <laughs> so the next game... Because <laughs> we have 46 more of these. ...was between Fiji and Namibia. Which doesn't sound like the most thrilling fixture, but I loved it. I was actually, I was on the sure was. Wales Online Rugby podcast this week, and they wanted me to pick some kind of like desert island rugby content. So I had to pick like two old games to go back and visit. And I went for England against Wales in 2015, and this game. And I went for Fiji against Namibia in 2011, that. because I loved it. And I wanted like a more obscure game. I wanted something that wasn't a classic Wales win or a World Cup final. Yeah. And I felt like Uruguay, Fiji has been talked about quite a lot. So that was my other pick. And we're going to be talking about that in full, in detail, next time. I can't wait for that. That's something to live for. And we'll see you then. Thank you very much, everyone. Good night. Robbie, we've not done the Man of the Match in the Dick of the Day. We haven't done that, have we? Should we do that quickly? Okay. Um, We forgot to do two fits, so it's going to go even longer. Um, Normally, we're always picking our Man of the Match of each round, of each game, and our Dick of the Day for each match. Now... Man of the match, who are you going for? I think Chris Patterson was very, very good. Yes. Uh, I think Mahita Lazar was very, very good, but I have to give it to Tinku. I completely agree. Again, I think Patterson played well. I think that both Scotland wingers had good games, actually. I thought Max Evans had a good game. They did, yeah. I think Danielli was particularly good whenever he got involved. He kind of disappeared for like a chunk of the game, like 20 minutes either side of half time. But the first 20 and the last minute yeah. 20, he was fantastic. And again, I think there's a few, like John Barkley, I thought had a good game. Yeah, he did. But I think really you've got to give it to one of that Romanian pack. And Tinku is very much the talisman, the key leader there. Again, I thought Carpo had a good, fun game. I thought Tonita had a good game. We haven't mentioned him at all, actually, the number seven. Yeah, yeah, he's a good player. But yeah, it has to be Marius Tinku for me, man of the match. Dick of the day is a pretty easy pick, I think. <laughs> I mean, it's easy to blame Parks putting those kicks out on the full. Easy to blame Danielli for not passing that ball to Patterson. But realistically... The 100% kicker missing between the posts. It has to be him, doesn't it? I mean, it's hard to argue. The other guy I'd put in contention is Siento, the Romanian Duplo winger. For anything in particular or just being mental? <laughs> for being incredibly slow yet playing on the wing. For his two attempt at sidesteps in which he was tackled before he could finish the sidestep because he's that slow. And for him being offside from the only point he was effective. <laughs> of course. Yeah. And, what a guy. You know, I thought about him. I think about him often and I will from now on. But yeah. you, you've got to give it to Mossy, haven't you? I love Chris Patterson you dearly. Are. He is definition of dick of the day. Exactly, exactly. I think Chris Patterson and Marius Tinku get unanimous votes here, and that actually, for real, brings us to the end. Yeah. Join us again next time for yeah. Uruguay against Uruguay, or alternatively, when I finally stop thinking about Uruguay, it'll be between Fiji and Namibia. Thank you very yeah. much. Thank you for joining Thank me, you. Mr. Owen. Cheers. And Thank you. We'll, we'll see you then. Bye.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.